and believing. After I have heard, believed, and applied the word, I will see results. Amen. After I have heard, believed, and applied. Right, because you could be like, oh, it's really good to drink water. But if you don't actually drink water, you don't actually get any benefits to drinking water. You, you're on Facebook telling people, man, you ought to drink water, but you haven't had a water, any water this year. It's not benefiting you, even though you can articulate it. So we don't want to just be people who can articulate what the word is saying. Amen. We want to be able to do it. So, you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about love. Amen. We've been talking about what love does. So we're just going to recap and go back to a couple of our scriptures and then we're going to add two more and we go just get some practical teaching because I don't know about you, but I, I have hated going to church and people telling me what to do, but not telling me how to do it. There can be absolutely no, nothing more frustrating than for somebody to tell you to bake a pound cake and not telling you how to bake the pound cake. So they told you to mix the flour. They didn't tell you that you had to sift it. So then you bake the pound cake. It fall apart. You feel like a failure. You just never had the right ingredients. But we've got to become a people who care more about learning how to practically apply than to be being emotionally entertained. Now, we can have a good time, right? But we don't want to just leave with some emotional entertainment. We want to have at least one step, one thing we can actually try, right? So let's start with 1 John. That's the scripture that we've been using. 1 John 4. 1 John 4. Um, it is quiet, right? Because it's no little. It's so quiet, right? <laughs> it's super quiet. <laughs> no babies. It's like, right. Yeah, we might need a little help when we get used to it being quiet. Okay, let's start with verse 16, verse, 1 John 4, 16. Okay, it says, and we have known and believed the love that God had toward us. God is and he that dwelleth in love and dwelleth in, in love dwelleth in God and God in him, right? So it's establishing something. We know that God does things, but this is talking about who God is. God is love. So God heals because he loves. God delivers because he loves. God corrects because he loves, right? Now, some of the challenge for that is that if you grew up in some kind of um, thing where you always taught that you were always taught that God was out to get you, you may not necessarily see God as the God of love. Well, I'm just going to help you. If God was out to get you, you be God. Who stops him? God is not out to get you. God has been for you when you didn't know you needed anybody to be for you. That's a very important way that you have to rethink your theology because some of you only accepted Jesus because you was afraid to go to hell. And so basically you just selected out of fear. So you still came from fear and not from love. And then you still think that every time you mess up that God is like counting, you know, like he just like, oh my gosh, she messed up. I get to get her. No, he's like, no, you messed up. Grace and mercy. I forget your mess ups for my own sake so I can be good to you. Anybody who's a parent understands that. There are some things you, anybody ever just told your kid, I am not doing X. I'm not doing it. And then you end up doing the thing you weren't going to do. That's called grace and mercy kicking in, right? They don't deserve it. They are not worthy. They have not done right, but they are yours. 
And so it's very important that you don't start tying or you untie your belief of what you get from God based on how well you perform. Now, you live in a world that demands that you perform. That's that. But your relationship with God cannot be based on performance because then every time you don't perform, you feel like God is holding something against you. Your performance has never been sufficient. If your performance was sufficient, there wouldn't have been a need for Jesus. So if you just establish this is not about my performance, I'm just learning how to fall into love. I'm just learning how to stay in the place of love, right? Let love grow me up. Let love break my bad habits. Understanding when God is giving me correction, he's not trying to keep me from fun. He's trying to help me live my best life. How many of you have now lived long enough to know that some of that stuff your mom and them was telling you they knew what they were talking about? I know you didn't think that they got it because, you know, I used to, I was telling my friend the other day, we didn't think they got it because they didn't have starter jackets. We was like, what could you possibly know if you don't live in a season with starter jackets? Everything is different. My grandmother used to say all the time, she'd say, Sean, I've been 16, you've never been 65. And so you keep living long enough to find out that a lot of times the instruction and the correction you were getting, it wasn't to keep you from having fun. It was because they understood the consequences, right? One of the things I would tell you to get in your heart, you don't have to buy every lesson. You do not have to buy every lesson. If you see somebody go in the store and they steal something and they get arrested, you don't have to prove that it's true. And you go in the store and steal something and get arrested. You go, note to self, don't steal. Right? And so don't be a person who got to buy every lesson. I'm going to do it my own way. Because people who do it their own way end up with a lot of battle wounds. And, it, and then you begin to believe that the battle wounds came because of God. No, God did this to me. No, you did that to you. God told you not to date them from Jump Street. God, your mama, your grandmama, and all your friends. You did that because you wanted to. This, don't put that on God, right? So he says, if you, God is love and he that dwells in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Next verse. Herein is our love made perfect. That word perfect means mature. So God wants to mature your love. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants to mature my love. He does not want you to be a baby your whole life. He does not want you to be easily offended your whole life. I was thinking about this because we had black alumni reunion this weekend, and it's always interesting to me um, because for years I served on the board, so I've been going to black alumni reunion for years. And it's always fascinating to me to watch people who didn't like each other at 18 and 19 still not like each other. I'm like, do you even know what you got into it about? You have not matured at all. You still mad about a dude didn't neither one of y'all end up with. How does that work? And that's a sign that people don't mature. And so you don't want your love to be a love that's not maturing. You want it to grow up, right? Why? He says, because if you grow up, your love will have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is in this world, so are we. So God is love. We've been born again. So we are. Uh, Y'all didn't. Oh, okay. We'll try again. God is love. We are in him. So we are. Right, and love is not this weak thing. You know, a lot of people think love means you got to let people run all over you and treat you any kind of way. You can say no firmly in love. That, you know, you, it, and in fact, if you would operate in love, you would learn to say no before you're mad. Because some of you don't even know how to say mad to, to say no until you're actually mad. So he says, <laughs> listen, if you feel... Um, 
If you feel convicted, change. All right. <laughs> because as he is, so are we in this world. Go back to that verse because this is a really important thing. It says, in, him, in hearing is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So let me talk to you about this probably in a way that you may not have heard it before. So when you've had things happen to you in your life, you've been disappointed, you've been hurt, you've been injured, you've been lied on, you've done some stuff too, right? Judgment comes to say you don't have a right to be free beyond this point. Love says I have boldness to say the judgment. That's not my story. I don't have to be the whatever because of what happened to me. I don't have to live in a state of victimization because someone injured me, because someone hurt me, because my daddy won there, because my mama won there. And it's really interesting because, you know, it's so funny. You know, when we don't want to change something, we'll blame our parents. But all of us can admit we have not done everything our parents told us to do. So whenever it's convenient, we don't listen to our parents. But when we need to take responsibility for where we are now, like if you left home at 18 and you 38, you've been gone 20 years. That means you've been away longer than you were there. What you're doing now isn't because of how you were parented. What you're doing now is because of how you think about how you were parented. Does that make sense? So we have to change our thinking. Well, you're like, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, keep going. I'm glad you asked. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so it's really interesting because I was like, you don't need anybody else to tell you whether you're in fear or not. If you torment it, it's fear. Can't stop thinking about it? Fear. Can't sleep at night? Fear. Always scared something going to happen? It's fear. And so then when you find yourself in fear, it's a great opportunity to say, hey, what we've been saying for two weeks? I know what I see, but I'm willing to see something else. Holy Spirit, I know what I see. I know what I'm scared of. I know where I'm limited. I know where I've been stuck the last 30 years, but I'm willing to see something else. All right? So let's go to Romans 12 and 2, and then from there we'll go to Proverbs 23 and 7. So if we want to grow up, we got to be able to first think about our thinking, because sometimes your dysfunction is so normal you don't know it's dysfunctional. I mean, if you've lived crazy long enough and everybody around you living the same crazy, you don't know it's crazy. And so... Romans 12 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. We changed that word out last week for fear. Don't be conformed to this fear, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God for your life. When you operate in fear, you think you have to convince God to keep his word to you. You got to work hard enough. You got to do enough. You got to, you know, really it's just a form of witchcraft. You're going to tell, you go do spells to get God to do something. So I'm going to run around the building three times. I'm going to lay on the floor. I'm going to jump up. I'm going to run, high five, three people, manifestation. That's witchcraft, guys. We don't have to get God to bless us. It's his idea. But where he's going to start is the transformation of our thinking. Because everywhere you go, there you are. Your relationships have not fallen apart because of them. Not every one of them. You are the common denominator in the situation. It's always interesting to me when I meet friends and none of your friends, no, I meet people and none of your friends are carryovers. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you're not friends with nobody from kindergarten. You're not friends with anybody from elementary school. You're not friends with anybody from high school. Like every two or three years, you got to rotate some new friends in. That's not all of them. That's you. And so if we think about now, but hear this, because if I stay in fear and I think about my thinking and I go, oh, my God, the reason I can't keep friends is because I talk too much. and I tell people business. Then I feel then I feel bad and I'm in fear. But if I go, wow, I talk too much. I told people's business. That's something I can change. I talk too much because my mama talked too much. No, 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 no. Now, maybe your mama talked too much too, too, but you talk too much because you talk too much. It's so funny how everybody want to be grown until it's time to take responsibility for their behavior. I'm grown. Can't nobody tell me then. It can't be your mama's fault that you're doing it, right? It's why we don't let our kids say, Somebody made me mad. No, you may choose mad, but nobody makes you mad. You choose it. That's really powerful because when you understand that, you can stop being controlled by life. The Bible says this. It says, today I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. If you don't know what to do, choose life, choose blessings, choose to stay in love. All right, so Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even for your own life. So God is going to deal with us about how we think. Salvation is a finished work. You accept Jesus. The Bible says, here's all you got to do to be saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Bam, saved. Did you believe in your heart? Did you confess with your mouth? You saved. Now you spend the rest of your life learning how to look like what you confessed. You working out your salvation. And that scripture says with fear and trembling isn't actually an accurate translation of what that means. It means with some kind of referential bowing. So when God tells me I have an issue, I actually listen. So he says, be transformed. Now let's go to Proverbs 23 and 7. And then we're going to get into a little more of the practical aspect of it because I really want people to know how to do the word. There is, I'm telling you, there's nothing more frustrating than to be like, I'm trying to build a better life. I'm trying to build a better marriage. I went to church. I heard people say, and we go home and we had the same drama, same bad marriage, same bad money, same migraine, same anxiety. That wears you out, right? So you got to learn how to do the work. It says, we just go read the first part. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, as he thinketh in his heart, as she thinks in her heart, so is she. Now, listen, every guru in the world in personal development, people who don't even know Jesus, tell you your life is the sum total of what you believe about you. That's because it's true. When people say, I have low self-esteem, low self-esteem is about how you feel about you. Why do you feel bad about you? Well, they said, so is they self-esteem? No, it's your self-esteem. You get to decide how you believe about you. Could you say that? Say, I can decide how I believe about me. Now, I think you ought to choose to believe about you the way God believes about you. He's not holding your past against you. 
He's not talking to you about how old you are, how young you are, how many mistakes you've made, how much you've messed up. You ought to go with him. Y'all be like, God say I'm all right. I'm all right. So it says, we've been talking about this term, metacognition. That's to think about your thinking. Most people don't think about their thinking. Most people know, they wanna, we want to know why everybody else thinks the way that they think, but we don't actually think about our thinking. Any married people in here ever had a, yay, I'm glad somebody happy about it, all right. Um, any married people in here ever got into an argument with your spouse and then when you, re, yeah, they raise their hand quick. Hold on, wait, it's more to the question. It's not over. Ever got into it with your spouse and then you spent your time thinking about why they do what they do? And when you got through, what you had done was made up in your mind why they did what they did as though you were in there, somebody pointed at their spouse, man. They was just like you. That word is for you. Stop judging why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mind your own business, right? So we have this tendency because if we look at other people, it's easy to say, my relationship with Edwin would be better if Edwin does X. Well, that's great. That just means I get to stay the same and deceive myself. My friendships would be better if they would just listen to me. If people would just do what I wanted them to do. Just if you do it my way, it'll work out. But that takes away all of the responsibility to look at yourself and see how you're showing up in this. You're like, what does this have to do with going to heaven? Nothing. You're going to heaven because you accepted Jesus. This is about how not to live in hell. Not to always be in some type of conflict, anxiety, stress, drama, mess, garbage. Talking about I'm going to live my best life. You're not because your mind, your heart is full of garbage. And I just want to parenthetically insert here. I know a lot of you, you think because you don't curse, you got a lot of great thoughts going on. You don't. You don't curse and, you know, you don't listen to secular music. But a lot of gospel you listen to is really suspect. Because you, uh, somebody said, tell me, yes. You know that whole scripture, I mean that whole song about climbing up the rough side of the mountain? Jesus very clearly said, speak to the mountain. Why are you way up there climbing on the mountain with your knees getting all raggedy and rough? No, the rough side, you couldn't even take the smooth side. You couldn't even take the path that somebody else had walked out. You out here climbing on the rough side of the mountain. When Jesus said, if you would just say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it would obey you. So you have to be careful about believing things because those things, and especially those of us, how many of you grew up in church and you grew up in a more traditional church? There are some things that bring some nostalgia for you. There are some songs that you remember your grandmama singing and some, and some services, and now you see grandmama and them on the morning's bench morning. Well, why was they on the morning's bench? He said he would trade your morning and give you a garment of joy. That kind of stuff is the stuff when you begin to be metacognitive. You say, am I tied to this tradition, and is this tradition truth? Mm-mm, we going to keep going. So how many of you believe that your thinking impacts your world? I mean, you really believe it. If you really believe it, let me see your hands. So how many of you, before you ever got out of bed this morning, set an intention for what kind of day you would go have? 
it was bad. Did you say that out loud? Uh-uh, I don't, not even today. Most people get up and rehearse memories. Most people don't set intention for the day. And then they wonder why they get the same day. You, you think the same thoughts. I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just trying to get you to think about your thinking. You think the same thoughts. Those same thoughts produce the same actions. Those same actions, I mean, reestablish the same habits. Those same habits reestablish those same emotions. Those same emotions create that same scenario. And then you go, I don't know why nothing new ever happens to me. Because something new would have to happen in you for something new to happen to you. If you want something to happen new in you, I mean, through you, outside of you, it has to be something new in you. I say this all the time when we counsel married couples. Married couples just fighting about the same thing. I mean, it's just the same dang argument a million times. Why? Because you've been married 17 years, but for whatever reason, when you argue, you still go back to something that happened six months. I mean, if they was that bad six months ago, why'd you marry them? It's six months in, you knew they was that crazy. Why did you stay? But we rehearse it. So most of us are living in, re the research says this, the research says that 90% of your thinking is subconscious. You don't even know you do it. Now, now that you know you brush your teeth, think about it this week. Start trying to brush your teeth differently. Every other day, try to brush your teeth differently. What typically happens is people get their toothbrush, they put their toothpaste on it, right? And then as soon as you put the toothbrush in your mouth, a water, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, because you got triggered. I was talking about how I brush my teeth. That ain't got nothing to do with you. No, but think about it. You get so established in your routine that you think you got the right to tell somebody else their routine is wrong. Which is why you arguing with your spouse about whether the towels are threefold or twofold. Because you have so established that your way is right, it can't be any room for any other right. And so then what people say, because I'm just trying to help you with something simple in changing your thinking. So try to brush your teeth differently every day this week. You typically start on the left, try to start on the right. You start on the top, you start on the bottom. Try, watch, and see how your body is going to resist that. Because you do it subconsciously. The only way to interrupt subconscious thinking is to become conscious. So if you are subconsciously interacting with the people on your job, all you can get is what you've always gotten. So practice that and watch how your body fights you and how the moment you fade to black, because when you do it, you're going to fade to black because you've been brushing your teeth a long time. Then watch how as soon as you fade to black, your mind and your body are going to take you back to the normal way that you brush your teeth. Now, if that's true for brushing your teeth, how else are you showing up the same way every day? How are you showing up the same way every day with an, an expectation that you're going to get something else, right? All right, so let's get into a little bit of this because I just, again, I just want you to have some steps. So I want you to think about this because I want you to think about it from, I really love that people are starting to confirm what 
God has said from the beginning. Scientists, psychologists, doctors are all starting to come into the same thing that God said, that your thoughts impact your life. Your thoughts impact your healing. Your thoughts impact. There have been literally been people who had diseases that should not have killed them, and they died because they decided they couldn't make it. There have been other people who had things that should have knocked them out, and they was like, I ain't going. But if you believe that sickness in your body is an indication that God is ready to come get you, then you're not going to fight against disease because you like, we just go when we go. But if you read your Bible, you would see that you ought to at least live 70 years. And if you're a little bit faithful, you ought to get 100. So you dying at 40 ain't in the plan. But if you don't set your intention, get up in the morning, I'm healthy. I got a sound mind. I struggle with anxiety. Doesn't it make more sense to say, I got a sound mind than to say, I struggle with anxiety. Now, some of you go get mad. Don't write me no notes, okay? The reality of it is, is that the reason that it's easier to say you struggle with anxiety is because that garners pity. And people go, oh, you know, we got to be careful with Chris. We can't have a crucial conversation with Chris. We don't want her to get triggered. That music, sad music, <laughs> sad music. Like people will give you pr really practical examples. We say, listen, this, this is just science, okay? If you struggle with depression, don't drink alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. I'm already sad. I'm going to drink a whole fish bowl of wine and then say, I don't know why I can't get depression off of me. You just drink depression in you. And then you go get sad. No, first you're going to start drinking. And then you're going to start playing some music that match your sad. Now you 47 and you back in college, walking in and catching your boyfriend cheating on you. And now you got to light a candle and you still got a bottle of his favorite scent. And now you like, we could have been so happy. And then you like, I don't know why I'm sad. I know why you sad. I was talking to this girl yesterday at alumni reunion. She was sad because she wasn't married. And um, she was sad because she wasn't married. And I saw the guy that she used to date. I said, you mean tell me you don't want to thank the Lord that you got delivered from that? <laughs> you mean you don't want to stop right here at this stroll and give a praise break for the Lord? That that dude right there. Ain't you glad he kept you? She said, I never thought about it like that. I said, you need to think about it like that. Don't come back to alumni reunion and be like, oh, he was cute. He was a cheat then. He a cheat now. Now he a cheat with a big belly and a bald spot. You don't need that in your life. You don't need that in your life. You don't need that in your life. I'm just trying to help you. Listen, I'm like Kristen. If you mess around and say, does anybody want to praise the Lord for who you didn't get to be with? I'm like, I'm like, man, I want to thank you. I appreciate you so much. I come back to this reunion to celebrate how good my life is. Yes. See? Right there. 
But do you see how your emotions can set you wherever you go? So you can either be really, really sad because at this stage in your life, you don't have this much money. Your credit score isn't this. You thought you would have this. Or you can be like, but at least I ain't dead because I probably messed around and was in some situations that should have got me killed with a T, not killed. But I'm still here. So if I'm still here, I got another opportunity to build something. You can't build something new living in the old. We almost done. So let's talk about this. What does change require? Because transformation is change. All right? Change requires learning and unlearning. So you got to unlearn some stuff and learn some stuff. But first you got to learn some stuff so you can unlearn some stuff. So you can be like, oh, they told me that. Ooh, that don't make sense. And whatever went in first takes the most consistent effort to remove. Which is, but, and I want to challenge you this. Don't say change is hard because the more you say it's hard, the harder it is. Just say change is a part of life and I'm equipped to do it. I'm equipped to change. So, and when it feels hard, you need to understand what feels hard, okay? Because I just want you to have some practical stuff you can use. When people say something feels right, most of the time what people mean is that it feels familiar. It feels right because it feels familiar. I'll give you a good example. Um, if anybody um, ever went to their grandmother's house, and you, you know your grandma's house feels a certain way, right? And then if your grandmother passed, you go back to the house, you go, it doesn't feel the same. You don't feel the same. You don't feel the same. They ain't even moved nothing in the house yet. You don't feel the same because your body and your mind are used to walking in the house, having a certain group of scenario play out. And if you know that, then going to grandmama house don't have to become something grievous. It's something new we can do here. We can't do what was old here. But there is something new we can do here. One, I could talk to my cousin. I never talked to her before because I only talked to my grandma. Nobody want to talk to their cousin. Okay, all right. <laughs> Great. Don't talk to him. I don't care. All right, what's a habit? You need to understand what a habit is. A habit is a hardwired pattern in the brain. It's hardwired. We don't just change habits. We have to become intentional about changing habits. Like if you're a person in conflict and you start crying every time you're in conflict, you don't, that's hardwired. You got to be like, I'm not going to cry. When you start crying, you got to say, self, you're doing a lot. Nobody's even talking to you hard enough for you to be crying. You got to wipe your face. But if you found out early that if you cry, people stop engaging you, then you started crying because it works. Because we really just do what works. If I cry, if I get mad, if I don't talk, whatever gets you to stop trying to get me to deal with me, I'm with that. So you got to think about how do I show up? How do I show up in conflict? How do I show up when people tell me something about myself I don't want to hear? How do, people, how do I deal with myself when myself has bad thoughts? Okay, so classically, I don't talk bad to myself ever. I'm like, it's a whole world of people who want to talk bad to you. I don't talk bad to me, ever. And so we went to ride a bike one time, and I didn't realize that something was wrong with the bike. 
And so um, I'm like really, really trying to ride this bike. I'm like, I, it cannot be this difficult to ride a bike, right? All the, ri the riders, they are sucking me up. And I hear myself saying to myself, if you can't ride that bike any better than that, you suck. I stopped that bike and laid it down on the ground. I said, y'all take that bike and do whatever it is you want to do with it. Because if something's going to make me be mean to me, it's got to go. So me and Strick traded bikes. He took the other one bike. I'm like, I'm not. I, why do you keep going back to stuff that reminds you that you aren't enough? But it could be a habit. It could be hardwired. I need to talk bad to myself because somebody else did. That doesn't really make sense to me. I think you should talk good to yourself. But if you are a person who has negative self-talk to yourself, then you can't get mad because you attract people who talk crazy to you. Or maybe they don't talk crazy to you, but they treat you crazy. And they treat you crazy because subconsciously something in you believes that you deserve to be treated crazily because that's why you talk crazy to you. See? All right. So what we're actually doing when we're changing our thinking, when we're introducing new information in it, we're actually, this makes me so happy, the nerd in me gets thrilled by this. We're pruning synaptic connections. So the pathways in your brain, you are pruning them. So if you used to say, I'm stupid, I can't do this. When you, every time you start breaking that, you start creating a new path and your, body, your mind starts going, we can do this. We can pass algebra. We can start our own business. We cannot live paycheck to paycheck. But if you've wired yourself over the last 30 years to say there's never enough money, no matter how hard I work, I can never get ahead, you got a path there. And when no matter how much money shows up, your body goes, there's never enough money, we can never get ahead, and then your life finds a way to get rid of the money, and then you go, see, there's never enough money, we can never get ahead, and then you reinforce the pattern. And then when somebody comes in and says, you need to think something different, you go, I'm just trying to keep it real. No, you just go stay broke because you won't prune that synaptic connection. So we have to stop living in the past and quit recreating the same day over and over again. I'm going to give you this and then I'm going to talk to you about personality and reality and then we're going to pray, go. I don't know. Sometimes It's different with children's church because sometimes they come in or they're like, no, you can't quit yet. So if you see me keep going, it may be because they said you can't leave yet. All right. So if you keep, I want you to think about this. If you keep thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, engaging in the same habits that produce the same experiences, that activate the same emotions, then your mind stays the same. I'm going to say it again. If you Keep thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, engaging in the same habits that produce the same experiences, that activate the same emotions, then your mind stays the same every day. So every day you take an old mind into a new day to duplicate an old day. So in reality, most of us really are living Groundhog Day. Same day. Your husband go say, or your wife go say, what you want to eat? You go say, I don't know. Like you didn't know they was going to ask what you needed to dinner, and all you had to do was take your phone out and then just be like, this or this. So 
People live the same day. I'm going to say that one more time because I see some people writing. It says, if you keep thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, engaging in the same habits that produce the same expressions, that activate the same emotions, then your mind is the same every day. And then you keep trying to take an old mind into a new day so you duplicate the day. Can anybody see that about themselves? That's great when you have great habits. Like if you work out, that's a great thing that you do that. But if you eat a bag of Oreos every day, not a great thing. But it's the same pattern in your mind that causes you to exercise as it is that caused you to eat the Oreos. You like the gym don't feel good. All you're saying is that it doesn't feel familiar. What feel familiar is these cookies. What feels familiar is cussing folks out. It feels familiar because I've done it. So then the first time I don't do it, your inside is like, so we a punk now? Because your inside is like, wait, hold on. In the past, somebody talk crazy to us, we get them told. You broke the pattern. My body, and here's the other thing you need to understand. You then, your body begins to crave what you do to it. Your, whatever you do for your body, your body craves it. If you drink a lot of water, your body craves water. If you drink a lot of sodas, the people who like, don't talk to me till I get caffeine. You just trained your body. You wired your mind to say, I am incapable of an intelligent, pleasant engagement until I get caffeine. So then you just rehearse it. Is this making sense to anybody? Because if you can, ca listen, I don't need you to be able to go home and tell another story about Daniel in the lion's den. He escaped. That's the immoral of the story. He escaped. He got out. What are you going to do when the lions in your own thought come to you this week? What are you going to do? Because just being able to talk about Daniel in the lion's den will not help you if you cannot translate it into something practical that you can do. I guarantee you when Daniel got in that lion's den, he didn't take off running from the lions. So you got to think about your thinking. How do I think? How do I respond when I think there's a financial need? What do I, how do I respond? I was reading this the other day, man. This blew me away. So they were saying, like, say if you've had some kind of pain in your body, you know what I'm talking about? Any kind of pain. Pick whatever you want to pick. And let's say this morning you had a headache. They said the moment that you check to see if you have a headache, pain receptors fire to bring you pain back. Go get the pain because you told us we was in pain. Can you see how much it matters what you think about? So we're going to do this exercise because it's one of my favorite exercises. We'll do it. We'll try it. We'll try to get all y'all to follow instructions. Most of you aren't, so then I'm going to know why your kids don't, but it's going to be okay. We're going to work on it, okay? Here is the first step. Close your eyes. If you have trouble closing your eyes, put your hands over them. I'm really trying to show us how undisciplined we are. 
So close your eyes, right? Now I want you to go to your house. Once you're in your house, lift your hands so I can see that in your mind you went to your house, wherever your house is. I want you to walk to your refrigerator. I want you to open your refrigerator. I want you to scan the shelves of your refrigerator. I want you to grab a lemon. You told me you didn't have a lemon, but you're in your house. You can make a lemon. Put a lemon in the refrigerator. Grab the lemon. If you have the lemon, let me see you raise your hand again. Grab them and put your hand down. I want you to walk and get a cutting board. For those of you who haven't bought that, the, your counter will be fine. <laughs> or you, it's, you, it's just in your thought. Add, add a cutting board. Everybody got a cutting board? Yeah. Get a knife. Wash the lemon off. Not that you go eat the core anyway, but wash the lemon off. Slice it in half. Take the one half, push to the side. Take another half, slash, slash it in half. Take the lemon, put it to your mouth, and taste it. What happened? Open your, oh, you can open your eyes. Good job, everybody. Give a hand and clap to the people who kept their eyes closed. Those of you who didn't, you know I saw you, so just so we clear. Somebody tell me what happened. Your jaw started to lock. What else? What you got? It was sour to the taste. Your mouth started to water. Your eyes started to water. You don't like lemons that much, huh? Okay, all right. Did, you, did anybody actually taste the lemon? If you did, so if you didn't, that can be good and bad, but it's problematic that your imagination doesn't work. It should still work as an adult. Did you enjoy the taste of the lemon? Okay, we'll take that. Did anybody, it's all when you got smart people, okay. Did anybody have an experience with the lemon? Did you experience the lemon however you experienced the lemon? Raise your hand if you experienced the lemon. So, you are sitting here. But you went to your house, you opened your refrigerator, you grabbed a lemon and a knife and a cutting board, you cut the lemon three times and you tasted it and sitting here without a lemon in your hand, you had an experience with a lemon. That's exactly what your thoughts do to you. Because your brain does not know the difference between what you really experience and what you think about experiencing. So every time you rehearse your trauma, you take yourself right back to the seat of that trauma and you relive the trauma because your brain doesn't say this isn't really good. All the kids are gone. I'm going to help you. Some of you have been ended up in bad relationships having bad sex because... You made it better than it was. It wasn't that good, but when you relived it, you made it better than it was. And so then you kept reliving how good it was. And in your mind, you was like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever had. So then you had to do it again, and then you did it again, and it wasn't that good. And you're like, what happened? It wasn't ever that good to begin with. It was what you did with your thinking about it. You have made yourself love people you know you didn't love. 
You have made yourself fall in love with people that you know you didn't love. When they first started talking to you, you weren't even interested. But people was like, oh, y'all look cute together. So then you looked at the picture and went, oh, we do look cute together. And then they was like, oh, you know what? Y'all would make some cute kids. And you was like, oh, we would make some cute kids. And then before you know it, your friend got you. Now, now you just go to Pinterest. We used to have to go to Walmart. And then you looking through the book, picking out wedding colors for somebody you don't even like. So now, but here's the beauty of it. If you can do it in the negative, what could you build in the positive? What if, let's say hypothetically you have a knee problem. What if every time you laid in bed, you began to journey through your mind and not have a knee problem? And you begin to imagine what it would be like to swing your leg over the bed and not have your knee hurt. You begin to imagine what would be happen like to be able to go to alumni weekend and kick it at all the stuff and not have your knees hurt today. Because you imagined it so then you could live it. But there are people who are literally in pain today because of what they said about what the experience was going to be. This is so funny. So my cousin is here. The only reason I ever came to school here to begin with. And so... um. She came to alumni weekend, and one of the first things she says is, I go to bed at 10 o'clock no matter what. So every night I look for her after 10, she was gone. I don't know if she was asleep, but she was gone. I, on the other hand, said, I'm going to take a nap. That nap going to be like I slept a whole night, and then I'm going to show up and kick it like I used to kick it. We both got what we thought about. So you need to understand your life is not the way it is right now because of what God has done to you or what the devil is doing to you. Your life is the way that it is because of what you meditate on. Because if you get up every day reliving how bad it is, ain't no good jobs, you're never going to be able to buy a house, ain't no good men, you never can find any good relationships, you can't find no good friends, you hate where you live, but you have hated everywhere you live. It's how you think. What a beautiful thing to know that God has given us the power to change our thinking. The best thing he gave us was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The second best thing he gave us was the ability to choose. I am never in prison to what you think about me unless I agree with you. I say this all the time. Do you know all over the world is people who don't believe women can preach? Look what I'm doing right here. So sometimes somebody will try to invite me to an argument about whether women can preach or not. Why would I argue? I already know women can preach. I preach. So I just want to do, we did a little lemon exercise, and then we're going we're gonna to get out of here. But I really want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about, I'm not going to guide you through it specifically, but I want you to think about something. No, back up. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you something in your life he would like you to rethink. And then what comes up, I want you to think about how you think about it. And now I want you to ask him how to think about it.
I'm going to tell you a story first. I was reading a story about a guy who was in a triathlon, and in the triathlon he got hit by a truck, broke five of his vertebrae. He was a doctor, and so he knew he needed to have surgery. He said they wanted to put a rod in his back, cut off some of your vertebrae, however they do to run that steel rod, whatever. He said he had four experts come in. He said, but he kept hearing a voice on the inside that said, the same power that made the body heals the body. And so he was like, I'm not going to do the surgery. They were like, if you don't do the surgery, you're never going to walk again. And in fact, as soon as you stand up, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. He was like, mm, don't think so. I'm not going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. So he was saying, here was the great thing about being initially paralyzed. He said he didn't have anything to distract him. You don't have to get in a pit to train yourself not to have something to distract you. I was reading the other day that people lose focus six times in a minute. Six times in a minute. That's the level of we've allowed ourselves to be undisciplined and undistracted because we don't master our mind. And really, we're like little kids. And then every time something happens, we're like, oh, bird outside. Oh, look, what's that? Oh, cobwebs. What? Right? But think about how often your inner self is being controlled by something outward. So anyway, the guy was saying that it took, he said, so he made a decision that since he couldn't go anywhere, that he would have them bring him pictures of his spine his spine, and a built spine. And every day he would meditate and build the pieces of his spine. So no TV, no music, just building the pieces of his spine. He said it took him six weeks. He said, this is crazy. He said, because I was in crazy pain all the time. He said, so not only, I, he said, I had to, he said, so every time I had a thought that said, I'm always going to be paralyzed, I made myself start over. He said, every time a thought interrupted me and said, it's never going to get any better, I made myself start over. He said, it took him six weeks to be able to use those pictures and rebuild his spine in his mind. He said, when he did it, he felt something happen. In 10 weeks, he was walking. In 13 weeks, he was training again. Here's the interesting thing. He ain't even a believer. He's not a believer. But he said that there was no way that we had been made by something that would not give us whatever we needed to be made whole. So you know Jesus. who He was raised from the dead. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He multiplied fish. He's literally in his lifetime, he modeled everything that a person could need. And then he did it to show you that it could be done. But for a lot of people, what we have learned to do in church is to come and have somebody else pray for us. And then we go back and live undisciplined thoughts the rest of the time. So I'm hurt. I focus on how much I hurt. My marriage is bad. I focus on how bad it is. I tell everybody I can how bad my marriage is, how I'm just barely making it, going through. And if it wasn't for the Lord, I'd get a divorce. Just get the divorce already, then if that's all you go do. But this guy, be said he start, so he started doing this research, and now he's been walking for 35 years almost. And now he's teaching other people. He, and then he says... As a man thinketh in his heart, 
So he is. He says, so the minute I could stop seeing what my outer body was and see what it was, I could have what it was. That ain't number faith 101. Now faith is. In order to get anything from God, you got to step out of whatever state you're in and be able to see God already involved in the situation. So as long as you're trying to get healed, healing is always in the future. As long as you're trying to get more money, it's always in the future. As long as you're trying to find love, it's always in the future. But what would happen if you would take time every day and see it now and then to respond like now? I know you can do it because you did it with a lemon. I know you can do it because you did it with Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your heart, your mouth, and believe in your heart, it's not a head belief. It's why I would never argue with anybody who don't believe in Jesus. I can't even explain it to you. It's it's here. It ain't here. It's here. You got to get to the point that whatever God said is here. And until it's here, people always think it's really tough when I say this, but this is the truth. If your marriage is being attacked... What in the world is on TV that's more important than meditating and fixing your marriage? If your body is in pain, what is more important than seeing yourself as God sees you? But then when you begin to put that intentional focus, your body and your mind goes, this doesn't feel comfortable because it doesn't feel familiar. So you got to train yourself not to be afraid of things that don't feel familiar because just because it don't feel familiar don't mean it's not your real life. So back to the exercise, think of something in your life that you are like, man, I always come back to the same situation the same way. I always show up in the same space. Then ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He may say, here's what you're really afraid of. Then ask him to help you work through that. Don't pretend like you're not afraid. Be like, man, I'm scared. Help me out. And then when you begin to see it in the new way, then challenge yourself to feel it in the new way. I'm starting to feel what it would feel like. What would it feel like? To not worry when I need a new car, if I could afford it. What would that feel like? Because I know what it feels like to wonder if I can get a new car. I know what it feels like to run the card or pull my credit card. I know what that feels like. But what if I shift it over and I saw what it felt like, it feels like, to not hurt every day? What it would feel like. Now, what research says is that when you really start to feel it, then your endorphins will start to fire. And that's how you really know when you're having a mind-body connection, when your body, that's why we try to get you to praise. Oh, no, this is the craziest thing. I got to tell you this. So this guy who doesn't even believe in God is running brainwaves on people when he's doing this work. And here's what he finds out. That when people begin to give thanks, their brain begins to register at waves that they had not seen before. He said, we cannot explain it, but your brain operates at its highest level when you're thankful. 
So what if you would step into, yeah, my body hurting right now, but I'm going to go ahead and begin to offer up Thanksgiving like it's not hurting. I'm going to see myself in a place where it doesn't hurt. I'm going to see myself really living my best year. I'm going to see some of these relationships being repaired. I'm going to see myself not just looking good when I come into a room, but actually really feeling good. What would it feel like to come in a room and actually feel good? And then I'm going to put myself in a state of thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving looks different for other people. People clap, people lift their hands, people dance, whatever. Only you know whether you're in a state of thanksgiving, and I don't have any brainwaves, to, any recording devices to measure you today. But I challenge you to take a second, and when you get in the state of thanksgiving, you don't have to say a word, but when you get in the state of thanksgiving, to stand up, and then we'll know we're done for today. 